Right, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. We have several questions lined up for today. The first one being a series of questions concerning the worship gatherings that we are presently conducting via a virtual gathering through Zoom, Facebook, and even YouTube. Now, even before the pandemic reached its climax, we were already practicing worship service virtually. And so the question comes up, can a virtual gathering be true worship? With this, uh, the question was given in three different parts. Uh, one, two, and three. Let's go with the first question first. Question number one, my question four, is about our virtual gathering. Since it is virtual and not physical, can we say that it is actually a worship service? Because there are some who say we should be inside a chapel or even a rented hall for our worship services to be considered a pleasing to God. The key word there is pleasing to God. Because the question is, our virtual gathering, in other words, our worship services that we conduct through Zoom or through Facebook Live, is this pleasing and acceptable to God? So to answer the question, let's go to a famous passage that we often refer to, how can we know if the worship that we conduct, that we render to Abba, is indeed pleasing to him? John 4, 23, 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth in truth. And so what is the worship that is pleasing to God? It is the worship that the Father seeks. And so what is the worship the Father seeks? Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is why we need to understand those two components of true worship, to worship in spirit and to worship in Truth. Now, what does it mean to worship in truth? Yahusha says, God is the spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the first thing we need to understand so that we can carry out the work of worshiping the father in a way that pleases him is we must acknowledge him as for who he truly is. Yahuwah God is spirit. Yahuwah God is only one one true God. And so how can we worship the Father in spirit and truth? In verse 22 of John, you Samaritans do not really know whom you worship, but we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. And so what is the first thing that we need to establish so that we can render worship that is pleasing to him? Worshiping God in terms of knowing the one we worship. Remember, John chapter 4 is about a conversation taking place between our King Yahusha and the Samaritan, right? And there were two groups back then, the Samaritans and those who were considered uh, Jews, the Hebrew people. Yahusha, when he was speaking to this Samaritan, says, you don't know the one you worship. You see, for the Hebrew people, they knew who they were worshiping. Who is that? Yahuwah. He was given a name by which people will understand who he is. And so the first step so that we can truly please Yahuwah God in worship is by acknowledging who the true God is. So who is the only true God? 
We know he is Yahuwah. He is only one. And he does not have the Trinity uh, a statue. He does not have the Trinity features, I should say, because there are those who believe today that the true God is in three forms or three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when we look at the Hebrew understanding of who God is, there's no such thing as Trinity. Trinity was simply invented in the fourth century. It did not exist in the Hebrew mindset. So according to King Yahushua, the true God, based upon the understanding of the Old Testament, is one who is spirit, one who has the name Yahuwah, and one who does not have three persons. He is the one and only true God. We call him today as our Abba, or Father, Yahuwah, who created all things. This is the first thing we need to understand, to worship God in spirit and in truth. The other part is to worship him in spirit. How do we worship God in spirit? Let's read 419 to 21. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. Yahushua replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And so what does it mean to worship Abba in spirit? We know to worship him in truth means to worship God based upon the truth revealed concerning who he is. How do we worship God? In spirit. In the conversation between our King Yahushua and this woman, they talk about where to worship the true God. During the Old Testament times, when it comes to corporate worship or congregational worship, where did it take place? In the tabernacle, in Jerusalem, because it was there where the high priests and the priests and the Levites would conduct the sacrifices involved when it comes to true worship. But our King Yahushua says, time will come, and it has now come where it will not matter where you worship. Why? Because the worshipers will become the very temple of Yahuwah God. And so the spirit now will be in the temple. It will be in the body of believers, those who follow our King Yahushua. That's what it means to worship God in spirit when the time comes, when through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can worship Yahuwah God anywhere. We don't have to be in the chapel we don't have to be in some rented hall. Even today, we can meet together virtually. And is that considered true worship? What is your answer? Yes. What is important is the spirit is dwelling in us. Because even if you meet in a chapel, but the spirit is not present, is that worshiping God acceptably? No. But you can worship virtually. But if you receive the spirit, is that worship acceptable and pleasing to God? What is your answer? Yes. That's how you worship God in spirit and in truth. And so when we meet together as a congregation virtually, what is the purpose of virtual gatherings? Because we need to understand when it comes to worship, we can worship God on our own. It's called personal worship, right? 
This is when we pray to him on our own. We read the Bible on our own. We meditate upon the teachings of Abba on our own. We do good deeds on our own, which is something we practice. However, the Bible also teaches we need to be gathered together. And so when we gather together, what is the purpose of that? What should take place in our gatherings when we worship Abba together? Let's read uh, Corinthians 14, 26 and 15. This is what I mean, my friends. When you meet for worship, one person has a hymn another a teaching, another a revelation from God, another a message in strange tongues, and still another the explanation of what is said. Everything must be done, uh, must be of help to the church. What should I do then? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray also with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. So when we meet together as a people, in a gathering as a congregation, what is the purpose of that? Purpose of that is to help build up the assembly or the church. How do we do that? When we gather together, we sing together. Because when you sing together, it unifies our spirits and purpose, doesn't it? It feels nice to be able to sing together. Can this be done virtually? Yes. What else? When we pray together. Can this be done virtually? Yes. When we study the words of God together, can this be done virtually? Again, the answer is yes. So is a virtual gathering an acceptable form of worshiping, worshiping Yahuwah Abba? Absolutely. This is an acceptable way of worshiping Yahuwah, our God. What also is the purpose of why we? it is important for us to gather together as believers or people belonging to Yahusha. Let's read the book of Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, but also is a great blessing and benefit when we meet together as a people to worship in spirit and truth. Well, it is encouraging when we see other believers. It is encouraging when we see like-minded followers of Yahusha together worshiping Yahuwah, our Abba. Isn't that true? Because when we see each other, our spirits are uplifted. It's good to be together. Yahuwah God did not call us to be isolated. Yahuwah God wants us to form a community. Yahuwah God wants us to have fellowship. This is an important part of who we are as people of God. But can this also be done virtually? I think so. I mean, it's a lot better if it was face-to-face, -face, right? It's a lot better if it was done uh, in, in an actual way where we can physically con have contact with one another. But can this also be done virtually? Yeah, this is why it's also nice. For example, we have a Facebook assembly worship, right? Or maybe it's through Zoom and we have the brethren who are present and we see each other on uh, Facebook Live and there are brethren who are greeting each other, right? Encouraging one another. That's also uplifting. We spur each other into doing good works. Would it be better to do it in person? Absolutely. That would be great. 
Is it feasible though at this time? I mean, can we involve the, all of the congregations, all of the different brothers and sisters we have throughout the world at this time? Unfortunately, that's not feasible at this moment. I mean, we used to meet together in person, right? And it was a wonderful experience. So perhaps we can get back to what we were before. However, before making a decision on that, what does the Apostle Paul teach us? Corinthians 11, 17 to 18. In the following instructions, however, I do not praise you because your meetings for worship actually do more harm than good. Your Apostle Paul is speaking to group of believers, people in Corinth, and he kind of gave them uh, a remark that was probably because of the things that Apostle Paul heard about the brethren there in Corinth. And he said to them, your meetings for worship actually do more harm than good. Now, it's good to meet for worship, especially if you can do that virtually. What are the advantages of doing it virtually? Well, we can all be together as one assembly from the different parts of the world, right? If we do it locally, it's only within that jurisdiction of brethren. And so it doesn't represent the whole. And so when we do something locally or in person, there are potential problems, practical problems that we have to deal with first. Here, Apostle Paul says of the possibility that your meetings for worship actually do more harm than good. Now, practically speaking today, can that happen today? Is it more our worship, our physical uh, in-person worship, can that do more harm than good? Yeah, right? For example, if uh, during the COVID outbreak, if you were meeting in person, what are you, what are you doing? You are passing the virus along. You're propagating the sickness. And we don't want to do that. But brother, we have already, we're already past the COVID pandemic. And we're actually not yet. We have to be careful about the situation with the COVID because there's another variant out there, right? The Delta variant that we need to be mindful of. And so we're not in the clear yet. And so what we want to do is what is best for the assembly. This is why there are times when the virtual meeting together, well, that's more important than the actual in-place meeting together for worship. However, when Apostle Paul said this, meetings for worship that actually do more harm than good, it was not because of the disease. Do you know why he said that? I wonder why Apostle Paul said your meetings for worship actually do more harm than good. Let's keep reading verse 18. In the first place, I have been told that there are opposing groups in your meetings. And this, I believe, is partly True. And so what was the reason for Apostle Paul's remark, his statement that your meetings for worship actually do more harm than good? Because when, they, when the believers met together for worship, there were opposing groups that began to form. In this case, the rich versus the poor. And so you can see there was like divisions forming when they met together. Can that also happen during our time? Unfortunately, yes. Right? Because sometimes cliques form, sometimes groups form, and we don't want that to happen. And so if there are instances where opposing groups begin to form, that is against the spirit of why we gather for worship. Now think about this. If, for example, one locality will meet together for worship, and because they meet together for worship, 
in person. Perhaps they begin to see themselves different from the others who do not have these meeting togethers in person, right? And so what can happen is we have opposing groups. We don't want that. We want to eliminate the potential for having opposing groups. And so for the time being, the best way to conduct our worship is through virtual means. Is this acceptable to Yahuwah God? Absolutely. So long as we receive the spirit of our God. This is why we need to continue what we are doing and let us be present when we meet together for worship uh, virtually. Okay, let's go to the next question, number two. My other question for is about ranking, <laughs> ranking amongst the congregation and the institution versus hierarchy, ministers, officers, and ordinary brethren. Even in their prayers, they would ask God to bless first the ministers and officers and then the ordinary brethren. Is it right to treat ordinary brethren that way? Does being an officer in the church give us the right to somehow look down on these ordinary brethren? And this is also what I have observed even before. Those officers act as if they're holier than non-officers. Their office became their pride. I hope it will not happen in the assembly. Well, of course, we're not going to mention any names we're not going to mention any institutions here, but I think you understand where this question is coming from. A lot of us have uh, a lot in common, especially when it comes to our past, where we all came from. And many of us understand what this question is all about, right? Because there are some institutions today where there seems to be a hierarchy, as if God would favor the ministers more than the officers, more than the ordinary brethren. It's funny, they call them ordinary brethren. In Tagalog, pangkaraniwang kapatid. As though there is this distinction in hierarchy as though when it comes to uh, in heaven, uh, there's going to be ministers, they get the bigger houses and then the officers get the lesser houses and then the ordinary members, will they get the, the hotels or an apartment, right? But is there ranking in the church today? I mean, and what do we need to do about different abilities that have been given to us. Because when we look in the Holy Scriptures concerning people who have been entrusted with uh, power and opportunity and authority, sometimes it gets into their head. Isn't that true? This is why the, our Lord Yahusha gave the following parable in the book of Luke 18, 9 to 12, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Yahusha told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Sometimes, you know, when we do things for God, there is this tendency to become proud of what we have accomplished. And because of the pride that results from our accomplishments, like, for example, we tithe, we give offering, we have all these different offices. I am the president of this uh, group. I'm also the assistant for this group. I'm also the head fill in the blank for this group. I have offices in the district level, in the central level. You know, I have all these offices. 
when I die, I want to have my suit, my pantupad, right? I want to have my pin. I mean, they're really to the point that they believe it is their office that will give them a right relationship with Yahuwah our God, right? So what has become of their offices is that they use that as a way to make themselves feel higher than their brethren. And so just like what Yahushua says here, they are so confident in their own righteousness. And so they begin to look down on everybody else. And this is human nature, brethren. All of us are guilty of this, right? I mean, all of us. Sometimes we're not aware we're actually doing that. Because, for example, we did something well. And so we feel good about ourselves. And if somebody does something wrong, and then we condemn them right away. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person. You know, I perform my duties all the time. But that person over there, he doesn't, you know, he goes on vacation. He doesn't care about his duties. He doesn't love his duties. He's a slacker. And so you begin to condemn that person, right? And so our King Yahusha says, well, this is a parable that is for them. He says, there are two people who went to pray, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, well, he was entrusted with so many, so much authority, right? He was the religious teacher, teacher of the law. He had certain abilities that ordinary people did not have. But he used that to elevate himself. And so when he prays to God, he's thankful that, oh, I'm thankful to you, God. I'm not like a robber, an evildoer, an adulterer. He is comparing himself always to other people. And so he's basically bragging about his office. Because of my office, I'm better than that person. And so what happens uh, to the other person? Well, he looks down on other people. For example, when he was praying, he looked down on the tax collector, right? What did our King Yahushua say about the tax collector? Luke 18, 13 or 14, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so what is the most important part when it comes to our relationship with God? It's not about our achievements. It's about our recognition of the grace and mercy of who? Yahuwah, our God. So that we can be aware of our sins, be repentant, and return to Yahuwah, our God. And so we have to be careful when we have been given responsibility, when we have been given authority. It, it might make us proud and believe there are this, this ranking, right, within the assembly or within the church that Yahuwah God will favor certain others more than uh, the other. Now, what is the purpose of an office? Should we think that one is better than the other when it comes to office? Well, what is an office in the first, first place? Uh, let's read the book of uh, Corinthians 12, uh, 4 to 6, 7 and 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one of the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So what's the purpose of God in giving gifts 
which is what we call offices, right? Now, in the Assembly of Yahusha, we don't call them offices anymore. We call them service, because that's the purpose of an office, right? It is Its purpose is to serve for the common good. What is that common good, which is the purpose of the office, and the giver of that office or gift is Yahuwah our God, through his spirit. What is the purpose? In Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, the body is a unit, though it is it is made up of many parts, and though it all, all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. What is the purpose of the giving of offices or gifts or services? It's not so that one part of the body becomes better or higher than another part. That's not the purpose of why Yahuwah God gives us spiritual gifts. It's not for the purpose of comparison, right? Because if that is our purpose we acquire spiritual gifts to be better than the other person, other person. It defeats the purpose of the spirit. It defeats the purpose of the gift. What is the purpose of the gift? It's not to elevate one part, but to edify the body. And we are all parts of the body. And so we should not identify ourselves and elevate ourselves. Instead, we should always think about the whole, the body. The purpose of the gift is to strengthen the body, not to elevate one's self. Because when people think that in the assembly there's like ranking, for example, um, Yahuwah God will listen to, to me, to Yahuwah God will listen to Kajan, but not to you because you're just an ordinary brother, right? And so what's going to happen? There's going to be this disparity. this lack of equality amongst the parts of the body. Do you know what happens? When there is this thinking, this idea that there's no equality amongst the brethren, you know what's going to happen? The members of the assembly are going to develop what is called neurotic self-interest. <laughs> Have you heard of that before? Neurotic self-interest? Well, long, long time, not too long ago, but a famous psychologist, his name is Alfred Adler. He said, when you live in a society where there is ranking, where there is a belief that there's no social equality, and so one group is better than the other. What's going to happen is these individuals will develop neurotic self-interest. In other words, instead of looking ways to contribute for the common good, they're looking for ways to elevate themselves against the other person. Because if the mentality is one can be better than the other, well, then instead of thinking of ways to elevate the, the society as a whole, they are only in, in interested in promoting Self. We don't want that kind of thinking to infiltrate the assembly. And so what is the teaching of the Apostle Paul? 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the one body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no 
division in the body, but that its part should have equal, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What did Apostle Paul instruct us so that we can eliminate that one part can be greater than the other part? Apostle Paul said God has combined. You notice that? God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Why? So that there would be no schism in the body. In other words, Yahuwah God got rid of one part is better than the other. How? By combining all the parts into one body so that there will be no schism. And so if one part will still think, you know what, I am more important than that other part, then that defeats the work of the spirit in combining us into one body. What should be the result if we truly are part of that one body that Yahuwah God has combined together? Apostle Paul said, if one part suffers, what does it say? Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This should be our thinking and mentality. But I want to aspire for greater offices. Is that good to aspire for greater offices? Greater gifts? Yeah, Apostle Paul said that. Corinthians 12, 31, right? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Is it good to aspire for greater gifts? Yeah. If I were to ask you what the greatest office is, what do you think? What would be your answer? Well, I'm going to be a, a choir member. I'm going to be a minister because they teach the word of God. Oh, yeah. But as a choir member, you get to lead the hymn singing. And in heaven, that's all we get to do is hymn singing. So my, my office is greater than your office. <laughs> And so the battle begins. What office is greater than the other? Apostle Paul says, aspire for the greater gift. Do you know what that greater gift is? Do you know what the greatest office is? The greatest office. The greatest office in the assembly doesn't have a title. A lot of us are interested in having titles. I am the head deacon. <laughs> right? I am the head elder. We like these titles. But Apostle Paul said, no. The greatest gift doesn't have a title. You know what the greatest office is? Well, Apostle Paul said here, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now he says, I will show you the most excellent way, the most excellent gift that you should aspire for, the highest office. We can call this the highest office. Why? Well, do you know what it is? Well, we read 1231. The highest office Apostle Paul speaking about comes after 1231. What comes after 1231? What verse comes after 1231? 12, 32. Only problem is <laughs> the people who translated the Bible, they did not put a 1232. They changed it into a 13.1. <laughs> but in the actual Bible, right, there's no numbers. There's no 12 or 13, right? In the actual Bible, there's no numbering like this, what we have. So it's just continuous. And so if you go to 13, that's the most excellent way. What could that be? About 13, 13. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, what is it? Love. You see, brothers and sisters, 
the greatest office, the greatest office we can aspire for is love. You know why? Do you know why we say this is the greatest office, the highest office? It's because when you have this office, when you have this gift, you are not in danger of pride. You are not in danger of neurotic self-interest. Why? Because if you have this office, it focuses not on you, but it focuses on who? Others, right? This is why we can say there's one gift. We can say it's the highest gift, the highest ranking office. The person who ranks number one is the person who has the greatest amount of love. You believe that? Yeah. And so what is the office called love? I mean, I want to have that in my resume. Well, then we're not thinking the right way. We're again thinking about self, right? So what is this office called love? How can we fulfill it? Let's read. And how important is this office of love? Let's read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. How important is love? Without love, all the other gifts matter, does not matter anymore. Even if you have faith that moves mountains, even if you can speak in tongues, and even, even if you can interpret the language of angels, but you have no, not love, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Even if you give all you possess to the poor and surrender your body to the flame, but you have not love, you gain nothing. Do you see the importance of love? This is why, brethren, the highest office that we should all aspire for, the greatest gift we should all aspire for, is to be filled with love. And to do the acts of love. What are they? 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What is the office of love? It is described there in four down to seven. Let us strive to practice the works of love because when we are filled with love, doesn't matter what titles you have, right? Those titles are meaningless. Those pins are meaningless. Your uniform is meaningless. But what matters the most is what? It is love because everything else will be erased, but love will remain. It will remain. This is why we need to aspire for love. Truth of his, his brothers and sisters, let's not be, let's not think about ranking here on earth. It's not our job, right? But it doesn't mean we are not to be filled with good works. But when we perform our works and we perform them with love, what will happen when we face Yahusha in his judgment seat? Let's read Corinthians 3. 12 to 15, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. 
If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You know, what we read to you is what we're going to face when we are before the judgment seat of Yahushua HaMashiach. What is the purpose of this judgment seat of Yahushua HaMashiach? It is to determine our reward based on our works here on earth. And so our work here on earth is likened to gold, silver, or costly stones, or it's likened to wood, hay, or straw. And so how many here would build something made of wood, hay, or straw? Anyone here want to do that? No way, because that's flimsy, right? It's weak. It will collapse. It will fall apart. It will burn away. How about if we build using gold and silver and costly stones? That's what we want because it will stand the test of time and it will stand the test of fire. What do you mean? You see, our works, our offices will be evaluated, not by us, but by who? Our king. How will he evaluate our work and our offices? He will use the fire. If our work is based on love, if our work is based on faith, then our work is like gold, silver, and costly stones. And when the fire is revealed, it will, it will not be burned up. It will remain standing. But if our work, our offices that we fulfill is made of wood, hay, or straw, because we're only doing it because of the title, right? If that's our motivation for self-enhancement, then brethren, the Bible says his work will be burned up. And so he will suffer loss. Yes, he will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And we don't want that. What we want is for all of us to make our king happy. And so let us do everything out of love. Because that will stand the test of time and the test of fire. That's the greatest office, not the titles, but doing the works of love. I think many of us will be surprised. There could be on the day when Yahusha will reveal our works. You'll be surprised. Someone who never had a title will be the one who has the most rewards from our king. And the one who had all these titles will have nothing. So brethren, let's not focus on the titles. Let's focus on the love. Love for God. Love for our fellow men. Okay. Number three. My last question is about spiritual, is about a spiritual worship service. Uh, Kajan, most of us who grew up in the institution believe or at least consider that a spiritual or mabiyayong pagsamba is when we cried so much during the hymn singing or in the processional and our eyes are so puffy after the worship service. Has that happened to you before? Are you crying during the hymn singing? And also during prayer, when the one praying is someone popular or high-ranking minister. But from what I observe, even now, uh, most brethren does, does that. They cries a lot, always on special occasions. I think it's because they take more time in meditating during special occasions like Holy Supper and Salama. And when it's time for preaching, I observe a lot of attendees fall asleep. Oh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the more important part of worship is when the words of Abba Yahuwah is being preached 
I think all parts are important. One part is not more important than the other. Okay. My question is, how can we say that a worship service is mabiyaya or spiritual? Is crying a manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Okay. So how do we know? I mean, let's think about our worship service. Okay. And there are times in our worship service when people weep, when people cry. Am I right? And after you cry, you feel good. Of course you feel good because crying releases a lot of that pent-up emotion that's weighing you down because if you feel guilty or maybe because you were sad and you're worried and then you feel and then you cry, you know, you have all those emotions uh, that you're carrying. It becomes a burden. And when you carry all those different heavy emotions, you want to set yourself free, right? When you cry, you release all of that pent-up emotion. And you feel light. You feel good. This is why it's called catharsis. It's a cathartic experience to cry. This is why it's often good therapeutic practice to cry when you feel so heavy. Okay. And so when we meet for worship and somebody cries, right, does it mean automatically that that's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Not always. As a matter of fact, we have to be careful because we can be deceived into thinking we have received the Holy Spirit just because we cried when in fact we have it. Okay. Because there are many people who do cry, but what's causing them to cry is emotions, right? Because of their situation. And so they cry. It's a normal human experience, but not all crying means you have received the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit and we cry, is that also something that can happen? Yeah. We can be moved by the Holy Spirit. And because we feel joy, we cry. When we feel convicted because of sin, we cry. And so crying can be part of experiencing the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't mean that just because one cries, one receives the Holy Spirit. Because it's, it's easy to make someone cry, right? Just talk about your problems and troubles, right? Talk about oh, their kids and all that. They'll cry, <laughs> If you start remembering your past, what happened in the past, of course you're going to cry. We're human beings. And so what we need to know is this. How can we know if the worship service is filled with the Holy Spirit? Or how can I know if I receive the Holy Spirit during the worship service? Well, we have to answer that question by addressing the purpose. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the first place? Is it to make you cry? Is that the purpose of the Holy Spirit? I will send the Spirit so that you will cry. <laughs> Is that it? Because what I read in the Holy Bible, God will wipe away all of your tears. He's not going to make you cry, right? So when we think, well, let's think about how the Holy Spirit is manifesting. What is the purpose of the giving of the Holy Spirit? The book of John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. What is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit? It is to lead us to truth. And so if you cry, but you have no idea what the truth is, that's not the result of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given primarily so that we can receive truth. And what is included uh, when we say truth? That the Holy Spirit leads us to. Let's read Corinthians 2, uh, 10 down to 12. 
but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. What is manifestation of truth that we can receive if we have been gifted the Holy Spirit? We will enjoy the wonderful things. We can see the wonderful things. We can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. Did you know what Yahuwah God has freely given us? Do you know what it is that can be activated by the Holy Spirit? You know what it is? I mean, it's given to all. It's given to all for us to enjoy, for us to benefit from. What is that? What has been given freely to us that we can enjoy through the Holy Spirit? Let's keep reading 13 and 15. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. But they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. So what are these wonderful things that we can know by means of the Holy Spirit? It is spiritual truth that is recorded where? In the Holy Bible. This is why Yahuwah God gave us the Spirit first, so that the Bible can be put together, right? The apostles and the other gospel writers, they put that together through the help of the Holy Spirit. However, during our time, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? For us to be able to discern, to understand what was written in the Holy Scriptures, spiritual truths. This is why a manifestation of the Holy Spirit when we attend worship services that we understand clarity. You get that? Clarity of the word of God. So if the message is clear, guess what? You received what? The Holy Spirit. That's a manifestation. There's clarity about the truth of the words of God. If after the worship service, you ask yourself, what is the worship about? What's about? Abuloy. Oh, so if you're confused, you did not receive the Holy Spirit. But if you get it, ah, it illuminates your thinking. You say, aha, I got it. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful message. What happens? You become uplifted. You become strengthened, right? That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's one. What else? What else is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? John 16, 6 to 8. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is, for you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Remember, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into truth. Truth concerning the wonderful things in the Holy Scriptures, and also truth about ourselves. Did you get that? And when we understand the truth about ourselves and the truth about Yahuwah God's standard, 
we will be convicted of sin. We will realize just how short we have fallen from the standard of Yahuwah God. And so this will move us to repentance. That's another work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it is for what? Truth, right? Truth. Number two, it is so that we can be moved to repentance. Because I tell you, sometimes there are people after the worship service, right? They're like crying. <laughs> I mean, they have tissues and I mean, they're bawling throughout the worship service. The following day, they go to the casino. <laughs> following day, they commit sin. I tell you, did they receive the spirit? No, because it did not come with repentance. It was simply human emotion that was present, okay? What else is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. But also is the purpose of the Holy Spirit it is to give us power, okay? Power to do what? Power to carry out the will of Abba. You see, Yahuwah God commands us to do certain things that we cannot do on our own, that we can only do empowered by the Spirit of God. What is one proof that we have received the Holy Spirit? We have power to do His will to the point we're no longer afraid. You notice in the Old Testament, a lot of people of God who were timid, but when they got the power, they overcome their, their timidity, like Gideon, right? Or Apostle Peter, remember him? When he was afraid, he denied Yahushua three times. But after he received the spirit, he was the first one to speak against the Pharisees and the Jewish authorities, right? See, that's what the spirit does. It gives you power to overcome fear. And so if there are those who receive the word of God, but they're still afraid, they're afraid of men, and because, because of their fear, they are unable to do Yahuwah's will, then they have not yet received the full power of the Spirit. Because when you receive the Spirit of God, you become bold. You become courageous in proclaiming the Word of God, regardless of what others will say about you. Okay, that's the power of God. Power to be able to love and also to control self. And what else can this power of God be able to allow us to do. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it, it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And so what else? How else does the power of God through the Holy Spirit manifest in our life? Inner strength, the power to grasp the love of Yahuwah God and Yahusha Christ, the power to have a full life. So brethren, when we look at whether or not we have the spirit, I mean, I have not found, I mean, there's not one verse that says you have to weep, that you have to cry. You notice that? We're not saying that it's a manifestation, yeah, but it's always there. If we're going to weep and we're going to cry, it is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit for us to cry. The purpose is for us to be led to the truth. The purpose is for us to repent. Maybe the crying goes there, repentance. Right? And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is for us to gain the power 
the power to overcome fear, to carry out the will of God, the power to be strengthened in our inner person, the power to understand the love of God and Yahushua, and the power to have fullness of life. Most of all, what is this power going to enable us to do? Let's read one more part. Uh, well, let's read Galatians 5, 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so what is the litmus test for a person who has received the Holy Spirit? He has the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because if you say you have received the Holy Spirit, you got to show the proof. Right? Because it can be subjective. Crying is subjective. What is objective? What can be evident? What can be seen? It is the fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's objective. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are we exhibiting these? Because if not, then no matter how much crying you do, you have not received the Holy Spirit. And so it is about producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So to answer the question, how can we know if we have received the Spirit of God when we worship together? Two things. Number one, it leads us to truth. And number two, it gives us power, power to do the things that God wants us to do, like the fruit in our life. Okay. And so was this proven? I mean, was there recorded in the Holy Bible a powerful worship service? Is there? filled with the Holy Spirit. Was there an instance of that? Was there? Because now we can compare, you know, what kind of worship was it? What was the result? What was the fruit? How can we compare our worship service today with that? Well, let's read. There was actually a worship service that was very powerful, filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 1 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Was there an instance of worship where the Holy Spirit was poured out? Yeah, the day of Pentecost. On that day, the Bible says every single one. This is what made this event distinct from the other events. You see, in the Old Testament, there were people who were filled with the Spirit of God, like David, right? And others who were given a task, and when they were empowered by the Spirit of God, they did what, were, what they were entrusted to do. But it was given one individual at a time. But here, it's different. The Spirit was given not just to one or two or three individuals. The Bible says all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Each of them had the Spirit upon them. And what did they do because of that Spirit? What were they able to do because of that Spirit? They were able to speak in tongues. In other words, they, will, they were able to understand the message. Even though the one speaking it was speaking from a dialect that they could not understand. Because remember, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is what? To lead you to truth, clarity of message. And so even if they did not understand each other, when they spoke one-on-one, -on -one, when the apostle Peter began to preach, everyone understood what he was saying because of the Holy Spirit of God. It brings clarity, 
clarity about the truth of God. In this case, Apostle Peter gave clarity about the purpose of the Mashiach, Yahusha HaMashiach. And so what was the result? Because the truth was understood because of the spirit. Well, let's read. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's the result of the power. The first part, the truth, right? The Holy Spirit gave clarity concerning the truth. They believed that truth because it was clear. And they believed and were baptized. And the power was given to them. How did the power manifest itself? The things that they were able to do. As recorded in 42.2.47. And so that's a spiritual worship service. You understand the truth. And you are empowered to carry out the truth that you have received. It's not about crying. It's not about weeping. That's not the spiritual worship service that we aspire for. Let it come because there are some who will force themselves to cry, right? So they can say to themselves, I received the spirit. No, no, no. We cannot fool God. We have to receive it by knowing the clarity of the truth of the word of God. And that truth of the word of God leads us to power to carry out that truth. Okay. All right. Let's go to our last question for today. Good day, Brother John. My question was about King Saul. Why did Abba leave him in 1 Samuel 15? Is it because of King Saul's disobedience, Samuel 15, 9? Or is it because King Saul built a monument for himself, uh, Samuel 15, 12? I know, did you know that? That King Saul built a monument for himself? <laughs> yeah, I read for a monument is a structure built to memorialize greatness. Can't help but think about the former church, the son, our leader built a the son, our leader built a monument for his father. I think that was the start of idolatry. Could that be the start of God's jealousy and slowly leaving the church? But the church prided itself on the parade of success and numerous accolades she received from all the nations throughout the years until the, uh, the fateful year happened. Abba is really long-suffering God. Thank you so much. Yahuwah Abba bless you and the assembly. So the question is, um, why did Abba leave Saul? Is it because of his disobedience or is it because of the monument that he built for himself? I say both. The monument that he built for himself um, is the root cause of his disobedience. Okay. And we will see that played out. And so let's go ahead and read all about what he did uh, in the book of 1 Samuel 15, uh, 7 to 9. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor Quality. To give you context, uh, brothers and sisters, Yahuwah God chose who to be king. 
Saul. Saul was appointed king of Israel. Yahuwah God gave him very specific instructions. What was that? Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 1 to 3, that the instructions Yahuwah God gave to Saul was to completely annihilate the Amalekites, including the king. Because in terms of the wickedness of the Amalekites, it has matured too much. And so Yahuwah God decreed that they are to be eradicated from the face of the earth. And Yahuwah God says, okay, Saul, that is your assignment. <laughs> Carry it out. And so what does Saul do? Well, he goes to the Amalekites in battle. Did he win the battle? Yeah, right? He defeated the Amalekites, but what was the big mistake? What was the act of disobedience of Saul? He spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, the best of the goats, the best of the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything that was good, they kept for themselves. Were they supposed to do that? No. Did Saul knew and understand what he was supposed to do? Yes, but he disobeyed God. You know why? I mean, why do you think he brought all the best of the land? Why did he spare King Agag's life? Why did he bring with him the best of everything that they had instead of completely annihilating them? You know why? Because King Saul wanted to bring a trophy with him, a trophy that he can display so that the people can see. You see, when King Saul arrives back to his kingdom and the people are there to greet him and they see nothing, right? They did not get anything from the Amalekites. No token, no trophy. He was probably thinking, I would not get credit for any of this. It will soon be forgotten. But if I bring the king and the best they had to offer, guess what? Those are trophies. And we can see here that uh, King Saul, just like the problems that a person faces when he or she has been given great responsibility, he becomes arrogant. He becomes proud. And what's the proof that the reason why he did this was because of his pride? Well, let's keep reading, 10 to 12. Then Yahuwah said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to Yahuwah all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. And so we can see now the reason why he spared King Agag. We can see now the reason why he spared all the good parts of the Amalekites, right? It was because he wanted to set up a monument to himself. He wanted to give a trophy. He wanted something tangible for people to see, for him to see that he can parade so that people can say Saul is great. And so we can see his pride. He was proud of what he accomplished. And he wanted to keep a token of that accomplishment that will remind him of his greatness. So again, it's about him. It's about his monument. It's about honor to himself rather than giving honor to Yahuwah God. And so he betrayed Yahuwah our God. And so when Saul, when Saul was approached by Samuel, because Yahuwah God was really upset, what excuse did he give? Let's read 13 to 15. And Samuel finally found him. Saul greeted him cheerfully. May Yahuwah bless you. I want to pause there for a while. You see? You see? Uh, 
uh, it was used as a, uh, Yahuwah's name was used to bless the people. I mean, if it was wrong to use the name of Yahuwah, then Samuel should have corrected him, right? Because there are those who say, oh, you cannot use the name of Yahuwah. No, it was a common practice to use the name of Yahuwah to bless one another. May Yahuwah bless you. May Yahuwah keep you. May Yahuwah protect you. May Yahuwah guide you. It was common practice to invoke the name of Yahuwah God for blessing. It's not wrong to use the name. So I don't know where these ideas are coming from. I think I know uh, people who try to make it seem that it's against the will of God for us to invoke his name. No, we are to invoke his name for blessing because he was, that his name was given to us for blessing. So we can and we should invoke the name of God to praise him. And so here Saul greeted him cheerfully as if there was no problem, right? May Yahuwah bless you, he said. I have carried out Yahuwah's command. So he thinks he carried out Yahuwah's command. You know, pride does that. Pride blinds you from seeing the error of your ways. Doesn't, do, doesn't pride do that? This is why when someone tries to correct you, your pride doesn't see your, your own fault. That's the problem with pride. It blinds you from seeing your own fault. And so he says, I have carried out Yahuwah's command. Then, then what is all? The bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear, Samuel demanding. He's trying to hide it from Samuel. It's true. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice him to Yahuwah your God. We have destroyed everything else. And so what does Saul do when he was confronted by Samuel? First, he denies it, right? When he got caught... Now he gives an excuse. What did he say? Oh, we're going to give that as an offering to who? Yehuga. So he uses a spiritual reason, a spiritual excuse. I think that's an oxymoron, a spiritual excuse, right? He gives him a religious excuse to excuse himself. Oh, I'm going to do this for God. We do this for God's glory, right? Because sometimes we do that. We like to show people of our accomplishments oh but we just want to give glory to god <laughs> right we show a parade of accomplishments in just this amount of time we built so many of this and all this we're giving the glory to god well that's what Saul is doing right here right he's defying yahuwah god taking the honor that belongs to him for himself and now when he's being confronted he's saying no i'm doing this for god but will Samuel have any of that? 19 to 21. Why haven't you obeyed Yahuwah? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what, it, what was evil in Yahuwah's sight? But I did obey Yahuwah. Saul insisted, I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to Yahuwah your God in Gilgal. Again, his excuse, this is for God. Sometimes we are tempted to lift up ourselves, to exalt ourselves, and then use the name or use the phrase, this is because of God's glory. We don't do that. We have to be careful of doing what Saul did here. And so after saying all this, what did Samuel say? Uh, 22 to 23, but Samuel replied, does Yahuwah delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of Yahuwah? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams 
for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahuwah, he has rejected you as king. And so that monument that uh, Saul built for himself, that was idolatry. Why? Because in his arrogance and in his pride, he wanted to get glory for himself. He wanted the people to give him praise. And because of that, Yahuwah through Samuel said, arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. This is why we must heed the warning of the prophet Isaiah. I am Yahuwah, God says. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Because when a person begins to do that, when an organization or institution begins to praise someone else instead of God, when an institution and its people begin to give too much adoration to their human leader rather than give honor and glory to God, then that organization no longer belongs to God because they're guilty of idolatry. And Yahuwah God will have nothing to do with idolatry. And so we have to be careful not to erect idols. We have to be careful not to worship human beings, not to give them undue adulation and adoration beyond what is permitted. We respect our spiritual leaders, yes, but we must never, ever, quote unquote, idolize them. We must never adore and worship them because that's idolatry. And that idolatry was one of the root, the root cause for the apostasy of the people of Israel. Okay? All right, that is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Our loving Father, yes. almighty and gracious God, Yahuwah, yes. thank you so much for the teachings we have received. Yes. We glorify, we magnify your name, Yahuwah. Thank you so much for giving us clarity, yes. for giving us an understanding of your biblical truth. Yes. Help us, Father, to apply them in our life yes. by means of your spirit. Yahusha, our king, help yes. us to be pure in our thoughts. Yes. Help us to be filled with love yes. that we will not condemn and point an accusing finger against anyone because we understand we ourselves yes. are guilty of sin. Amen. Teach us to be compassionate. Yes. Teach us to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be like you. Yes. At the same time, teach us to use the gift of the Spirit that we may be able to discern between yes. what is right and what is wrong and always follow what is taught by our loving Abba. Amen. Father, thank you for continuing to guide each and every one of us. Yes. Help us to be your servants always. Yes. We give all praise and glory to you. May we never ever take any honor for ourselves, yes. but only to you. You are the one to be honored yes. because everything comes from your mighty Amen. hands. Bless your people throughout the world. Yes. Bless us with the power of your spirit yes. to comfort, guide, and strengthen each and every one of us. Yes. We ask and beg everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.